G'day friends and welcome to our 6pm podcast. My name's Pete Stacey, I'm the evening pastor here at Shell Harbour City Anglican Church and it's great to have you with us. I'm standing here in a beautiful spot. It's only a few minutes from the centre of Albion Park. And one of the things I've noticed uh, during this time of isolation is that people have been discovering all kinds of lovely little spots in our local area. So we're gonna start off with a little game. Uh, I'm gonna put, put up 10 pictures of spots in our local area and see if you can guess them all. I'm gonna put the answers in the comments after we're done. Have a look. Friends, I've turned the camera around now so you can see this beautiful sunset developing behind me. I'm just a silhouette, I know that, uh, but it was just too good to miss. This time of year, the sunrises and sunsets have been spectacular. But it's been interesting as we've been looking at 1 Peter because we've been reminded that this life is not all there is. In fact, he used that phrase to live as foreigners here in reverent fear. Because we have a living hope that extends not just for this life, but for eternity because of the Lord Jesus. And so we need to live now in the light of that eternity. We need to encourage each other. I'm going to do that tonight in song, uh, in prayer, and of course, looking again at God's word. Let me pray now and then we'll sing together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love. Thank you for the beauty of your creation. And thank you for the wonder of the salvation that we have in Jesus. Please be with us now as we rejoice in you and learn more about you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, let's sing together.
Heavenly Father, Great God, Father of the nations, we praise you for the provision of and providence for your people from generation to generation. Though the grass withers and the flowers fall, we thank you that the word of our God endures forever. Father, you are faithful, loving and true to your promises and to your people. Lord, thank you that you are also merciful and that you do not count our sins against us, but because of your Son, who died freely for us on the cross, we can fear you, knowing that you are a loving God. Father, we pray for the provision of your people, from governors to our next-door neighbours, to our friends and our families. Times like these can be difficult for many. As the world faces coronavirus, we are reminded of just how small we are, yet you are still in control. And for that we praise you. Father, we lift up those who are unwell in various ways. We pray for the needs of countries, for the people in them, who do not see the light of life. We thank you that you are in control and that you genuinely do care for us. Father, help us to be encouraging others, led by your Holy Spirit, to pray for all people and to genuinely think of and take the time out of our lives to care for others and each other. 
Help us to keep up to date with our mission partners and particularly Amy as her country of Cordoba, Argentina faces some pretty horrendous situations for some of its people, some of whom live day by day not knowing what they will eat or what the day will bring. Help Amy and her friends in Cordoba to care for others in this situation and give them wisdom and your guidance to know who to call and to know how they can be of great help. God, you died for us on the cross. Through Jesus, you took our sins away. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. Lord, forgive us when we fail to do what is good. Forgive us when we sin against you, knowing what is right, but ignoring it. There is no one to blame but ourselves. As we come to a time of confession, please help us to reject the evil desires of our hearts and to live for you. Help us remember who we serve and help us to remember you are faithful in all that you promise. Give us knowledge that is of your Son so we can truly love you and serve others. Help us with our sin and help us to realize the freedom that comes with repentance and also your forgiveness. Father, as we seek to grow in the knowledge of our Saviour, bless us, we pray, in the times we spend together in our connect groups. We pray that we may connect with each other well, that people, especially new people, would feel welcome, and that your word would be a lamp to our feet, a light for our path. We pray for our connect groups, that they will be encouraging and led by your wisdom. We pray that by your spirit, we would all be built up in the knowledge and love of our Saviour. Amen. And for those who are married and for those who are single, whatever circumstance you have put us in, may we use the gifts you have given us to serve others. Help us to be wise with our time, loving you first, so that others can be truly loved by us. Last but not least, we pray for our local ministry partners, our Anglican Deaconess Ministries, Moore College and Youth Works College. Lord, be their guide, their wisdom and their strength. We praise and thank you for those who commit their time to teach your word. We pray that you will equip them and us to spread your gospel in helpful ways, the ways in which you have called us to. Lastly, God, we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Thank you that you are faithful and that you work all things for the good of those who love you, that the good work you have begun in us, you will be faithful to complete. Amen. Good morning everyone, my name is Amanda and I'm the Children's Minister here. This morning I wanted to show you something about building. So this is a brick. We all know this is a brick. Uh, what we use bricks for is particularly for building and they're really great when you use them in the right way. I wonder, uh, maybe kids you could make me something with some bricks or some Lego at home this morning and show me uh, that you know how to use them for building as well. But something that's not good uh, is when you use bricks for what they're not made for. So if I was to throw the brick at you, oh, that's just not what it's for. Or maybe if someone was to trip over the brick, it would hurt and it wouldn't work. This morning in our, our message, Pete is going to share with us a bit more um, about the idea of a cornerstone and what this does. We are now going to read the Bible together. So go and grab the one you normally use and look up 1 Peter chapter 2. We will read from verse 4 to verse 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, 
You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Hello, friends. I'm so glad you've joined us. We're now in our fourth week on this series on the little book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. And have you noticed that he likes putting the word living in front of things? A couple of weeks ago, he said we have a living hope. Why? Well, because our hope is based on Jesus, who is not dead, but has been raised to life again. Last week, he talked about the living and enduring Word of God. Now, to many people, this is just a book. Pretty big book and a pretty old book. So what does he mean? Well, it's living because God is living and he inspired every word of it. And more than that, through his word, he brings spiritual birth and life to countless people around the globe. And then today, we come to what I think is the most striking combination. Uh, Peter puts the word living in front of stone. It sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? There's nothing very alive about this one. Living Stone. Now, if your surname's Living Stone, uh, I did my homework and looked into this. Uh, it's got absolutely no connection whatsoever. The surname Livingstone comes from a Scottish clan descended from a Saxon called Levin, who settled in an area called the Lothian Lowlands. And Lothian, just to go a bit further, is Gaelic, and it doesn't mean rock or stone or anything like that. It means something like waterway. Um, yeah, there's Levin, uh, and he was living in Lothian, but it's got nothing to do with the living stone here. Uh, today we're talking about this living stone in this Bible passage, and apart from mild curiosity, why bother with a detail like this? Well, it's because of this. Peter says that this living stone determines our eternal destiny. To put it bluntly, this living stone determines who's in and who's out of God's eternal kingdom. Nothing could be more important. See the contrast in verse 7. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Well, friends, let's ask God to help us understand his word now. Let's pray. Dear Father, as we come to your living and enduring word, please help me to explain it in a clear and helpful manner. And please open our minds to understand it, open our hearts to believe it, and give us the will to obey it for your glory, for our good, and for the growth of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.
Uh, friends, as usual, just a reminder that there is a kids activity sheet uh, linked on this post. So if you need to, just pause now and uh, print that off uh, so the kids can follow along. But can I just say, I think it's great no matter what age we are, it's, it's really helpful to take notes because it helps us remember what we're learning and it helps us put it into practice. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Let's uh, look right from the beginning. Verse 4 begins with these words. As you come to him, the living stone. The living stone is a person. And by the end of verse 5, we know who it is. The Lord Jesus Christ. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This passage paints a wonderful picture of God being the master stonemason who chooses a stone, that's Jesus, that is precious to him. Even though others have rejected it, you know, picture the Pharisees, the crucifixion, the jeering crowds, and everyone since then, including us, have ignored and, and rejected Jesus in our hearts. But God places this stone as the cornerstone of a new and magnificent building. And from the words he uses, it's like a heavenly temple where priests are serving. And did you notice who the priests are? Start of verse 5. You, the people he's writing to, and there's been a seismic shift in their hearts. Instead of being counted among the humans who have rejected him in verse 4, the you of verse 5 are people who have become like living stones. In other words, they've become like Jesus Christ and have been gathered by him and built into a spiritual house, a huge community of Christ-like, Christ-loving people. Instead of being gathered against him, they're now gathered by him and gathered for him. And, and what's their purpose? Well, Peter's metaphor changes a bit here. Uh, instead of being the building, they're now in the building. A holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Not sacrifices to make us acceptable to God, but sacrifices that are acceptable to God. How? Through Jesus Christ. Because he paid for our sin by his death on the cross. Now ultimately, this is a metaphor for heaven itself. God's people in God's place, enjoying God's loving rule. It begins in the hearts of believers the moment they're born again. Remember last week. And it grows and flourishes as we're shaped by God's living and enduring word until it reaches its fulfillment and fullness in God's presence in heaven itself for eternity. So how does this seismic shift take place in our hearts? How can we be born again? Well, notice two things happening. Firstly, verse 5 says they are being built in other words, this is something that actually God does to us, not something we can do by ourselves. But secondly, see the opening words of verse 4? As you come to him, 
There's a conscious decision on our part for which God will hold us accountable. Now, some people misunderstand the sovereign work of God in the world as mere fate. You know, if God wants me, there's nothing I can do to change it. He'll get me. Or worse, if God wants me, he'll get me and I'm not going to lift a finger to help him. Or still worse, if God doesn't get me and I end up in hell, well, it's his fault for not choosing me. Now, it's not only a tragic misunderstanding of his sovereignty, but it's an appalling response to the great love he has shown us in Christ. Now, we can't see uh, his perspective like he does. and We don't know whom he's chosen to save. But having come to him ourselves and received his forgiveness and received his living presence in our hearts by his Holy Spirit and received the gift of eternal life, we can say with confidence he chose me. And so throughout the Bible, we see that God's sovereignty has always produced great assurance and great comfort in the heart of the believer. And it's been the driving motivation for spreading the gospel, not a reason to give up. Imagine a door to God, and above it is written the words, you know, from verse 4, come to him. And some people walk past it, uh, but some go through. And as you go through the door, you look back and above that same door is written the words from verse 9. You are a chosen people. And can I just add, yeah, we can't take any credit for walking through the door. It's just an illustration anyway. But when we are saved, we can see all the ways God has been at work in our hearts, bringing us to himself. All the glory and all our gratitude belong to him alone. Peter now backs up his living stone metaphor by stringing together some passages from the Old Testament that talk about a cornerstone. Now, to help us understand this concept of this cornerstone and the significance of it, we need two things. Firstly, a lesson in construction. And secondly, some background from the Old Testament. I'm going to put some pictures up to help us. The cornerstone is that big stone you see at the bottom corner of lots of old stone buildings. Now, the cornerstone is the principal foundation stone, and it sets the direction for all the other stones. So every stone is kind of connected to it uh, in that way. So if Jesus is our cornerstone, it means he's the foundation for our lives. Our direction and purpose in life is it's built entirely in reference to Jesus. We maintain our connection to him. We have to. And it's a really helpful picture, isn't it? So, you know, we're just rocking along in life, then we come to a decision to make. What do we do? Well, connect to him in prayer about the issue. See what he says about it in his word. And then what decision, what direction is going to be in line with his will and matches his godly character? As for the Old Testament background, it's mostly done for us in verses 6 to 8. In these verses, uh, Peter pulls together three quotes from the Old Testament and applies them to Jesus. The first, verse 6, is from Isaiah chapter 28. It provides a glimmer of hope in the middle of a long description of God's judgment on his people because they've rejected him. This is what it says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Even in the darkness of human rebellion, 
God shines the light of hope to all who trust in him. And verse 7 explains that response a little bit more clearly. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. So the person who believes in Jesus now sees Jesus the way God sees him. See back in verse 4? Precious. Of course, Jesus is precious to us because he gave his life to make us acceptable to God. But verse 7 also introduces a stark contrast. There's another response on display. But to those who do not believe, and here comes our next Old Testament quote from uh, Psalm 118, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and, and this is a third quote from Isaiah chapter 8, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Some people just seem to cruise through life. They look like they've got it all together. They look like they know all about life. But here they're, they're described as builders, but they've turned their backs on Jesus. And by doing so, they've turned their back on the cornerstone of life. And because of that, they stumble in life and they fall in eternity. And the original context back in Isaiah chapter 8 should be a stern warning to those of us in the church community because it's addressed to God's people back there. They should have known the way of life, but they rejected the one in whom true life is found. Let us not repeat that fatal mistake. And verse 8 continues, They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. They knew the truth. They knew what was right. They had the opportunity to repent and put their trust in Jesus. But instead, they disobeyed the message and they reaped the consequences. Again, this verse affirms both God's sovereignty and our human responsibility. Step through the door called disobedience or you know, rejecting Christ. And on the back of that same door, it says, destined to fall. How we respond to Christ, the cornerstone, determines whether we are part of God's spiritual building or not. Now, Peter doesn't linger too long here. Uh, he's writing to encourage those who do believe. Uh, and verse 9 is about as good as it gets. Uh, two big questions in life. Who am I? What am I supposed to do? identity and purpose. Well, verse 9 answers both those uh, questions in an astonishing way. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now, this is actually our memory verse for the series. So I'm going to help you remember it by adding some action. So limber up the fingers. Ready? Here we go. And then I'm going to explain what each bit means. So you are a chosen people. Grab your thumbs. Got your fingerprint on it. Represents you. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. Make a crown. Uh, you're a holy nation. Hold your hands out like you're serving the king. God's special possession. Hands close to your heart that you may declare the praises of him, point to heaven, who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Hold your hands out like you're giving gifts. Ready? That was our practice run. Let's put it all together. 
If you need a bit more practice, just take the podcast back and have a few runs through. Ready? Here we go. Together. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. There you go. We're well on the way to memorizing uh, 1 Peter 2 and verse uh, 9. So that's a good one. But what does it mean? Peter is digging into the Old Testament again and pulling together a bunch of grand titles that God gave to the Israelites, mostly in the wilderness, to show that these Gentiles up in Galatia around that area, they're God's people too. They're not second-rate add-ons, latecomers. They're not like in-app purchases. They're the real deal. They legitimately belong to God. They stand in continuity with the faithful Israelites of the Old Covenant. And together with all the Jews who have put their trust in Jesus, they belong to God's new covenant community in Christ. So if you believe in Jesus, remember this. We're a chosen people. God's got a hold of us. What a great reminder of the security of our salvation. God's chosen us and he's holding on to us. Sometimes, you know, we don't hold on real well, but he's got us. We're right to be filled with gratitude to him. We're a royal priesthood. Royal, because God's not only our king, but he's our heavenly father. And we're part of his royal family. And we're priests, not because we mediate in any way. Jesus alone does that. But because we have the privilege of serving him. Uh, when preparing a resume uh, or preparing for a job interview, it's always nice to be able to drop a few names. Uh, you know, I've worked with so and so from you know, kind of insert big company name. Um, I've performed with so and so. You know, insert well-known artist. Uh, I was trained by insert famous educator. Uh, yeah, I've received kind of insert prestigious award or medal or something like that. Now. But friends, all such acquaintances and honours, they pale into comparison with our status as God's royal priesthood. It's an incredibly privileged identity. And he keeps going, we are a holy nation. Now in the Old Testament, Israel was to be a public witness to the world of a nation who were set apart to honour God. That's what holy means. Well, as believers in Christ, we're not part of a physical nation, but a spiritual nation scattered around the globe. And wherever we are, God wants us to be a public witness to the world of people who honour God. And lastly, we're God's special possession. Do you have a special possession? Perhaps something that belonged to your great-grandmother, or a mint set of footy cards from 1977, or a piece of jewellery. That's rare and precious. Or maybe an artwork done by one of your kids when they were way back in preschool. We all have special possessions and we'd be devastated if we lost them. That gives us some idea of the strength of God's affection for us. Not because we deserve it, but because he has chosen us to set his love upon us. We are his treasure, his special possession. So if that's who we are, what does God call us to do? Again, verse 9 tells us, 
We're called to declare the praises of him who's called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. It's your personal testament, isn't it? It's your story of how God has saved you. It means taking the every opportunity to tell other people how awesome God is, to tell them how he saved us. Yeah, and the before and the after comparison is as strong as darkness compared to light. Such a vivid picture for us because verse 10 is actually our story. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, when this podcast is over, can I encourage you to share your story of how God called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light with whoever you're watching this with? If you're by yourself, why don't you give someone a call? It'd be so encouraging to share. Peter 2 verse 9 is our memory verse for this series. It was good to have it explained, but how do we remember it? Here's a few ways. Well, that brings us to the end of tonight's podcast. Over the last few weeks, we've been following Peter's amazing explanation of the identity we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of him, we have a living hope for this life and the life to come. In his living and enduring word, we have all the encouragement and guidance that we need for life. And in Christ, the living stone, the cornerstone, we have an identity and a purpose that is rock solid. Next week, Peter shifts a little bit to start to drill down on the practical implications of this identity. So don't miss it. It's going to be really helpful as we slow down a little bit and spend some time exploring the practical implications of some of the things we've been looking at. Take some time now to encourage one another in the comments below. You might like to put your answer to those 10 location shots. It's been great spending time together looking at God's Word, being encouraged. Let me pray now as we close. Father, thank you for being with us tonight. Thank you for the wonderful encouragement of your Word. Please give us the strength to respond to you by obeying your Word. 
Please help us to continue to encourage each other. And Lord, be with us this week. Amen. May God bless your week ahead. Thanks for being with us. Good night.